Hello. Happy holidays, John Roderick. Oh, thank you, Dan. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. How's everything going? Pretty good. Boy, you're really blowing up the microphones, though. I'm sorry. I don't mean to do that. I'm not doing Jeez. anything different. It's really amazing. Boy, all the distortion. Really? Hmm. Mm. Yeah, Merlin's 100% right. You're a, you're a monster. I'm not doing anything different. What do you want me to do? No, no, no. You're fine. You're fine. Okay. I'm kidding. <laughs> sorry to take you away from Super Mario Run. Uh, I don't even know what that is. What yeah. is a Super Mario Run? It is a game. It's a game that everyone's playing on their iPhones. Oh, no. I'm I don't assuming, know I'm assuming you're not one of them. No, I, uh, I, I don't know what Candy Crush is either. Um, no, I've never played that. Never. I don't know what that is. No, it's some thing, some darn thing. Yeah. Um, which I don't, I don't know what it is. But no. I did. I, one time, I was on an airplane. And it was a long flight and I was bored and I was sitting there, you know, I'd done all the crossword puzzles. I was looking around. I'd played the uh, trivia game on the in-flight entertainment system until, until I had vanquished the, the, the aircraft itself. (laughs) (laughs) And I looked over and here was a guy, you know, a couple of rows in front of me on the aisle as I was. um, And he was playing some game where little jewels descended Right. And you line up three jewels and they blow up and then more jewels come down. And I was like, sure. hmm, that seems dumb. That seems like a mom game. Oh. <laughs> and I kept doing what I was doing. I read the in-flight magazine from cover to cover. And then I looked up and here this guy was still blowing up these little jewels. And I was like, hmm, that, you know, that game seems seems like it would appeal to people, you know, more people than just moms. Right, sure. Seems interesting. Maybe kids would like it too. And. And then I, you know, I sat and played tiddlywinks or, or, uh, or what, what have you. And, uh, finally I was like, Hmm, I, I, I wonder what that is. I wonder what that game is. And so when I landed, I did a little research, you know, I did a little internet research and I found out that it is called, um, I don't know, something diamonds, jewels, jewel bomb. I mean, I don't know what it's called, what it is. What? Whatever it is, I've I, heard it. I, I know what you're talking about, but this is not yeah. my forte. No, no, um, nor mine, but I downloaded it. And, um, you know, like all of those games, it's just diabolical. The whole purpose of it is to, is uh, to ruin you. And, uh, so now I spend a certain amount of time every day, uh, lining up jewels and blowing them up. Blowing up the ground. I guess you line up jewels and it blows up the ground, just like in real life. Uh, but I don't. Is it like I don't. Tetris. And you remember Tetris? Oh sure, I play. I play Tetris still. Is it like that in the sense that they they come they drop down and you got to get the row and then it makes a whole row yeah, and you cut them? Up. Yeah, sort of. I mean, sort of. Yeah. The um, yeah, it's sort of like that. I mean, all those games where colored balls come down and you have to line them up. It's the, you know, it's the is old it colored called, ball. Is, is it called Blitz? I'm just Google, Googling around. No, it's called Line'em Up. Line em it's up. called Color Ball Line'em Up. Okay. No, I don't know what it's called. <laughs> it's, a fam- it's a famous game uh, that I saw on an airplane one time over a guy's shoulder. Right. And at first I thought maybe it was Candy Crush that I keep hearing about. People keep inviting me to play Candy Crush and have been for five years. At least they don't invite me to play Farm Town anymore. Oh, yeah. Farmville, I think. Yeah, I don't go on Facebook as part of the thing. Uh, the, I went on Facebook the other day, and there was a guy on there, an old friend of mine who was um, 
a, a rock photographer during the grunge years. And as, as soon as I logged on to Facebook, he was just right there in my DMs like, hey, man, how's it going? Uh, it's Christmas time. Do you want to buy any prints of my famous photographs of Pearl Jam? <laughs> and I was like, hmm. Um, there are a lot of people I know in the world who would want to buy a big, you know, like beautiful print of Pearl Jam. But uh, that person is not me. And he was like, oh, I got a lot of pictures of bands that aren't Pearl Jam, like uh, these other Pearl Jam bands, like Mad Season. <laughs> I was like, no, I don't want any Mad Season photos either. All that stuff really depresses me, actually. Uh, but he's, you know, he was the photographer that took a lot of those iconic pictures. And it's like, wow, you could imagine these beautiful, like, huge framed photographs of people Pearl Jamming uh, or Pearl Jam themselves, Pearl Jam. Right, sure. Uh, but that's that's what happens when you go on Facebook. Somebody DMs you, and they say either do you uh, you know my band uh, has booked a show at a youth rec center somewhere, and we would love it, love it if you would if the Long Winners would headline the show. Oh, nice. And then you go, oh, that's nice. If the Long Winners wanted to headline a show at the rec center, you know who would have booked it? Us. Mm. But it's a common thing, you know, a young band is like, we got a, we got a show at the rec center, but we don't have a draw. We're going to have to get a headliner. I know I'm friends with John Roderick on Facebook. It's just like being friends with him in real life. Yeah. It's the same. So, That's what Facebook does. It brings people together. Oh, it really does. Yeah. But, but I've never figured out what Candy Crush is. And I thought for a while it was uh, Colored Balls Line em Up. Right. I still, sure. I still, I still have no idea. I bet you it, it is though. I bet you. I bet you that's what it is because these little, these little diamonds, these gems that I line up, they look like candy. So I don't know. I, 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 anytime I see someone playing one of those games or if, if someone tells me about it, I try to get as far away as I can from it Uh because I don't, I feel like there isn't a, I've, I'm worried that one of them will finally be the game that does me in. Yeah. It'll finally be the game that, addicts me and hooks me because I have never found one of those, the ones that people always play, whether it's Tetris or these other ones, they never grab me the way that they seem to grab other people. They never, Interesting. they never do that. There's whatever it is. The, what was that one? The, the, the numbers one where you do the they're lining up different numbers. Boy, you got me. Oh, you're talking about threes. Yeah. Threes. Yeah, threes. See, I That's never, also, I never could play. I never, I try played it, and I had like, I like, I got you know four rows or something. And people are like, well, I got three hundred and eighteen. I'm like, well, mm-hmm. I don't think I'm very good at those games. Well, and it's funny because of your sort of. I mean, I don't, I don't mean to, uh, I don't mean to uh, suggest that there's a correlation between the fact that you compulsively wet wipe um, uh, remote controls in it in hotel rooms. Right, yeah. I just uh, I just stayed in the hotel in San Antonio and I yeah my wipe down procedure was yeah very refined yeah you wipe it all down yep. I don't mean to suggest that that correlates with any kind of uh, desire to play uh, repetitive like mind numbing stacking games uh, but in my case whatever like organizing and stacking is a is a is a very soothing thing for me always has been my my uh i had a roommate years ago who said he was watching me play some game you know doing some sudoku or something and he was like you know to me those games just seem like 
uh, like putting the dishes away. Yeah, it's just, sure. It just seems like, why, why are you doing this? It just seems like a chore. And, uh, uh, oh, they're in my coat. I'm talking to my mom here on the side. They're in the pocket of the coat there. Sorry. Yeah, that's the one. Uh, we're communicating. We'll it, we'll but she's, communi- she's communicating by sign language. I mean, all you have to do is jingle <laughs> the coat and you'll find, are they not there? They should be in the in the... If they're not there, they should be in the jar. And if they're not in the jar, I can't tell you where they are. Not the blue jar. The the tray. The Anyway, Dan. You can go help uh, her out. I mean... No, no, no. She, she figured it out. Okay. So, uh, yeah. So anyway, it's, it's the, it's Christmas Eve, Eve. Yes. And, um, you know, I know that you and your family celebrate a multitude of holidays. Well, we try to fit them all in. And what's amazing this year, of course, is Hanukkah, I know. which is the amazingest holiday. The one that, you know, it's <laughs> the original, it's the original because, one. <laughs> because of the, because it's incredible to think that those lamps would have remained lit given how little oil there was i know the maccabees you got you got to you got to have a a big party about that yeah um and this year hanukkah the first day of hanukkah starts on christmas eve am i right yes you are absolutely right and i'm trying was trying to remember if that's ever happened before and it certainly has not happened that i can remember in the in my adult life but you know, they've got a whole different calendar over there. So it has to be pure coincidence when it takes place. And uh, I, I also nice. felt like it was, it was unusual and surprising. And I was like, huh, look yeah, at that. What do you know? Very... How come that doesn't happen more often? Given the amount of, you know, it does, Hanukkah does cycle, but it's not like Ramadan. I mean, Ramadan cycles throughout the year. You can never tell when Ramadan's going to land. Never. But Hanukkah just kind of cycles within a little corral. Yeah. Um, it was very, so, very confusing to me as a kid why it was you couldn't ever predict when it was going to be. You could never tell when it was going to be. I'm like, well, why can't right. they just pin it down to a day? And they, well, it is pinned down to a day. I'm like, no, it's not. It's a different day. And they said, well, it's because it's a different calendar. I'm like, what calendar are you using? Mm-hmm, <laughs> oh, mm-hmm. the 5,700 something one, not the. <laughs> <laughs> what that was so yeah. weird to me in hebrew school i just remember sitting there and they're like well we there's a different calendar I'm like why just standardize already yeah stop it with the all these calendars yeah how many do you need i'm just continually i'm continually surprised at how uh how whenever i revisit some of the uh some of the great bible stories i'm 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 often amazed at how prosaic the miracles are and i i was uh, sitting around with somebody the other day and i said oh yeah well you know it's like um it's like turning loaves into fishes and then i sat with that for a minute and he accepted that uh accepted that quote or uh, or she did accepted the quote and then uh, a minute or two went by and i was like now wait a minute what did i just say loaves into fishes that yeah. can't be it that can't be the miracle. Is that? Is if that you, it? Well, that's the thing. If you already had loaves, 
Why would you turn them into fishes? That seems like... You're doing a low-carb diet. I mean, typically, if I had a bunch of fishes, I would turn them into loaves. (laughs) Loaves are better than fishes. Right. And so I was like, uh, uh, hold the, hold on. Let's put this brakes on this conversation until I figure out what this loaves and fishes business is. Cause it's been a long time, uh, since I, you know, since I really addressed the loaves and fishes parable. Mm-hmm. And so I, l- I looked at it and it was very similar to the, um, to the oil in the lamps. Yes. Which is like, you know, th- this is the thing, John, it doesn't take a lot to qualify as a miracle. If you think yeah. about it. That seems like a fairly minor miracle. Like we only have this much oil and then the lamps will go out. Wait a minute. The lamps are still lit. Holy cow. You know, past a certain number of days, it has to be God intervening sure. here. Yeah. Instead of just like, you know, it's like, Oh, if uh, when your gas tank runs down and you're like, we're on E and then you kind of keep going for another 85 miles. <laughs> right. It's That's... like, we're still on E. How are we doing this? Yes. It must be a miracle. No, it's just sort of, you know, there was enough oil there to keep it burning. And the loaves and the fishes parable, uh, parable is... Um, I don't know that one. Well, so there were a lot of people at this party, uh, a lot of hungry people that were all... There was... I don't remember exactly what it was. Some kind of Masada situation where people needed some food and they were trapped or something. A lot of, a lot of hungry people, 5,000 of them. And uh, there were... <laughs> here's the thing. It's not that there were no loaves and fishes. It's that they only had a few loaves and fishes, two fishes and some handful of loaves. And somehow Jesus was able to feed a multitude of people. And I'm talking into the thousands with just a handful of loaves and fishes. He didn't turn loaves into fishes. He turned a few loaves and a couple of fishes into a multitude somehow. Mm-hmm. And, and within the parable, it does not say that, uh, that Jesus had a few loaves and a, hand, a couple of fishes and then like waved his hand over them and there were suddenly like 5,000 fishes. It says that with these very few items, food items, he was able to feed this large number of people. And I'm not sure what that is, whether uh, there's a line of people, clearly you can't feed them all at once. And they're coming up to the table and Jesus keeps pulling out the same fish. Like, look, we've only got two fish still. Here's one for you. And then the next person comes up and he's like, two fish still. Here's one for you. And all 5,000 people go by and he just keeps like whipping out another fish. Like where are these cards coming from? Or, you know, like here's half a fish and here's a loaf. I don't know how we're going to make this last 5,000 people. And he keeps like, he keeps doing this, this, uh, like sleight of hand or whether it was that he turned uh, like a couple of things into a giant table full of stuff. And that's just kind of left out of the parable. But in, in any case, it seems to me that, that if he had some amount of food, and there were some, and there was a large group of people. It's easy to imagine over the course of time that the story kind of got inflated, right? There were probably there were 50 people and there were 15 loaves and about 11 fish. But as time went on, the number of fish in the story got smaller. Mm. The number of people at the party got bigger. You know, that's so it feels like a little bit of like a, mm, that's kind of not quite a miracle you know like i guess it's, it's just it's like when 
when something magical kind of happens, that there were just something that stretches the boundaries of what the ex- of normal expectations, right? And it happens in a way that seems to benefit the people who wind up on the right side of the story or the history. Right. Hey, it happens it, at, a, at, a, at a crux moment. Right. Then it's a miracle. Right. But like if you just went out into the parking lot and like swept your arms and slid the cars left and right to make yourself <laughs> a new spot because everyone else, that's not a miracle. That's just being bad. No. Yeah, that's wicked sorcery. Yeah. Well, sure. I think you're right. Like if I'm just driving in my Suburban and it's on E, like it typically is because the Suburban uses a lot of gas. Yeah. Uh, and I'm it's driving along. E as soon as you pull out of the gas yeah. station. <laughs> and I'm driving along and I'm headed up to the, to the Goodwill on 145th. Right. And I'm like, oh boy, I hope I don't run out of gas on the freeway. That would suck. And then I get off and I'm like, I made it off the freeway. If I run out of gas on 145th, I can at least kind of park it here and find a gas station probably up on 15th. And then as the truck keeps driving, oh, then the needle is just bouncing on the, on the peg on E. (laughs) I make it all the way to the Chevron. And then I think, well, I'm right across the street from the Goodwill. I might as well park it in the Goodwill parking lot first and go into the store because I hate going to the gas station. But that, that doesn't qualify as a miracle. Right. No. But if I were driving and the needle was bouncing on E and there was a pregnant lady in the truck and she was about to give birth and I made it all the way to a manger or wherever. Yes. And now it's and starting ma- to sound like a miracle as you describe right, it right now. Managed to pull all the way into the manger parking lot, park, get her out, get her into the manger. That would be like a, that's something to write a story about. So I, I you do have to, you're absolutely right. You have to contextualize these events. I, the small miracles happen all the time. It's, it's every time I'm looking for my passport and I find it, it's a miracle. Right. That's a personal, personal miracle. A small miracle. Didn't they say, isn't there always somebody who's got stigmata or something? They're bleeding out of somewhere. And then the, the Pope comes out and says, it's not a miracle. Well, sure. I mean, Jesus appears on toast all the time. They don't want it Um, to be a miracle. That's the reality. The Pope doesn't. No one wants it to be a miracle. You know, there was something no, no. I heard when I was when I was deep into a, medit- a Buddhist meditation practice a few years ago. Um, one of the teachers I would listen to on a, a podcast that he did was talking about how, like, pretty much today, pretty much nobody's enlightened. You know, in the in oh, the in sure. the way that the Buddha was enlightened, mm-hmm. there really isn't anybody. You know, there, you know, maybe there's one person deep in in tibet or india somewhere you know what i mean like somebody who's like and no one really knows about them or anything but like back in the time of the buddha you're enlightened like that if you do it right like if you if you happen to meet the buddha you hear all these stories in buddha in the Pali canon which is like the the buddhist like uh stories you know the stories that all the time people listen to one talk from the buddha one talk you know, they're yeah. in there for 20 minutes. They walk out like enlightened and, and people go to the Buddha like, is he really enlightened? He says, yes, he is fully enlightened. He is, you know, and this would happen all the time. And, and the, wouldn't that be nice? Oh, yeah. And the guy giving the talk would say that, that all of the people pretty much who were going to get enlightened, they pretty much got enlightened already. Uh, and you would you would wow. see because, you know, we're in this cycle of like 
repeating oh, rebirth yeah. and and death and karma and everything and 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 that's called samsara in the in the in Buddhism. Like, there's also stuck, a nice girl's name. It would be pretty cool. Yeah, samsara. It means suffering. Though, so I would recommend not dating her. Well, there are a lot of names that mean suffering in my in my cosmology. Boy, I bet you got but stories. go on. No, uh, so so we, we you know the 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 whole the whole story is here. He's, he's like you know they're really like it's not that it's harder to do per se than it once was, but the people who are going to be good at it, they're they're already were good at it, and they're out. They're out. They're not back little, in the yeah, rebirth it's anymore. And it's I a feel little like, bit of the predestination business. Well, I think it's like the same thing with with miracles. Is that mm-hmm. like the good ones have already happened? Like All this, the good ones are taken. The good ones Billy are, Yes. <laughs> I don't think we can get anymore. I don't think, you know, the best kind of miracle you're going to get is finding your, finding your passport or your keys. Well, but when you think about it, right? I mean, uh, Moses was uh, walking through the brush. Right. He found a burning brush. <laughs> yes. And the miracle was that the brush was burning without burning up. It was just burning. Yes, but didn't burn up, and uh, and then the bush, uh, the brush talked to him, and ever since then we've been we've been saying his name, right? I mean Moses still say his name all the time. It's a beautiful girl's name, Moses. Uh, Moses, Moses, Moses. We say Moses, Moses, Moses. That's one of the that's one of our sayings. Now. Right, sure. Moses, Moses, Moses. Yeah. And it all goes back to him wandering in the in the scrub. I mean, if you take a look at the at the sort of uh, topography of the Middle East, and you look at the flora and fauna, you know, it's not a lush country. No, especially if you're out wandering in the desert. Desert, by its very nature, is seldom lush. He finds some tumbleweed. It's burning, ish, burning ish. And that's, uh, I mean, that's all it takes. Now, in my case, I come upon like burning truck tires, burning cars on the, yeah. on the side of the freeway all the time. Uh, I mean, there's inexplicable things on fire right and left and, uh, and not a single one of them, uh, makes me king of the Israelites. Sure. No. And I've, I, I resent it a little bit, you know, like I've. I wouldn't be a bad king of the Israelites. I'm not I saying I'd be the best. Qualify one. though, if the bare minimum essentials for you are there. Well, see, I object to that too. I mean, like any good non-practice, like any good modern Jew, I'm a non-practicing Jew. Mm-hmm. Like any good non-practicing Jew, I spend Christmas Eve at a Chinese restaurant, uh-huh. and the fact that I'm not Jewish should be a uh, should be a, like a uh, not that big of a deal. It isn't a big deal to me. But I think as far as like being that guy, hmm. there are some people who might have a. Well, sure. The conservative rabbis, yes, yeah. <laughs> but those people are crazy, right? I mean, yes. that's like nine tenths of the real Jews. They don't consider no, Jewish enough. I know. And don't get me started. Yeah. I can't indulge that craziness. No. I was, uh, I was, at, I was at, I was, I was, uh, undergoing some head shrinking sure. yesterday. Yeah. How's and, that going? Uh, Oh, well, you know, how good can it be? I mean, uh, any good head shrinker, including mine, uh, once they realize that you're a, um, that you're self-reflective. That's you know, they bad for leave. business, right? 
Yeah, right. <laughs> and they lean in and they go, look, it's all the same. I mean, every everything, basically, every doctor of every kind is going to tell you the same thing, which is you need to eat less, exercise, and then say positive things to yourself. Mm-hmm. And when you get down, um, you need to find a way to say positive things to yourself and get back up. Now, a psychiatrist is going to say that there are pills you can take that help you. And a psychologist is going to say, is going to give you a lot of stratagems for uh, learning how to say good things to yourself. Yeah. And a doctor is going to give you x-rays and then tell you that it doesn't look broken and you should stay off it and take two baby aspirin a day. Right. Uh, but generally it's all the same practice, right? I mean, if, if you sit or if you, if you learn to meditate a little bit, you eat better and exercise, you learn to say positive things to yourself. That's all we can, that's all any of us can say to one another. Yeah. Cause the rest of it is just a cloud. But, uh, but he said to me, I, well, we were talking about, uh, we were talking about something and, um, the issue of neuroticism came up hmm. because that's a new, that's a new theme in my life. Uh, not that I am neurotic, but that, you know, neuroticism is now sort of playing a larger role in my whole, uh, s- scheme. Really? And, uh, and he said, you know, he said something like, well, I mean, uh, like, how do you, what do you, how do you qualify neuroticism? And I said, well, listen, I'm not a, I'm not sitting here claiming to be some kind of Freudian trained Freudian, but, uh, I've read a lot of books by Jews and I understand what neuroticism is. Hmm. And he laughed and laughed and we were two goys me laying on a couch, yeah, just laughing, laughing about Philip Roth. It was a good time. And it's things like that. I think they qualify me to potentially at least be in the running, throw my hat in the ring for King of the Israelites. You know, you got to modernize. It's a big, it's a big step to take though. I know. I know. That but doesn't st- seem like something you'd want though. Anyway, really? Would you? Oh no. I'm very curious about the Israelites. I mean, you know, curious in a good way. Like, I definitely feel like I I would do a much better job of running the CIA than whoever Donald Trump puts in there, mm-hmm. by far. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, running the Israelites is a bigger job even than running the CIA. But, you know, I would bridge a lot of those unbridgeable gaps, right, between the between the liberals and the, and the hard right. Sure. I feel like I get into the mix and say, you know, look, I've read some of these books. I mean, I get, I'm, I'm no, uh, I don't know anything about the Kabbalah, but that's, I mean, like, let's who leave do, that. Who aside. does? Who does? Right. Like, if you want, if you want whirling dervishes, we can get them, but I don't think that's necessary right now addressing the immediate problem. Um, and just sort of, you know, just weave my sort of sophistic charm and uh, the Israelites are no strangers to charm. Right. No, uh, they'd see, they, they may see uh, right through that, but then I have this sort of uh, goyish cuteness that often sways even the most cynical Israelite. Okay. Okay. Uh, I think the very most cynical ones would not be swayed. No, but you can't reach them anyway in either direction. Right. Mm-hmm. You can't reach the sin. How are Never, you going to reach no, the cynic? Never. I mean, the way you reach the cynics is you anoint them. You touch them with a, with a, with a golden finger. Yeah. 
And I don't, I don't think you touch them with a golden finger and do anything other than relieve them of their cynicism. Okay. Which would seem to be if you like, if you're sitting there and you're saying, I got 5,000 people here. I got three loaves and two fishes. Right. And I'm going to feed them. And that's going to be the miracle. Or I could walk through the 5,000 people and anoint all of the cynics and turn them into like happy go lucky people. Right. Which miracle would you choose? I would anoint the cynics. Frankly, everybody could go hungry for a couple more days. But if you anointed the, if you went through a whole population of people and just took the cynics out and turned them into like positive, uh, like euphoric people. Yeah. What a transformation you would make in a whole civilization. I can't argue that. Yeah. I mean, that's a freaking miracle. Go through and, and, uh, take all of the, take all of the people that, that have, uh, like very, very rigid views and just. Just touch them with your ET finger. Oh yeah. Just, just go. Oh, phone home. Mm-hmm. ET phone home. And then all of a sudden they're like, "Whoa, I see other points of view." Holy cats! That's a that's a gift. It would be pretty cool. So, I mean, not to say that I have that, but I could at least bring it up in conversation. Sure. Yeah. You know, be like people at people at a party. A bunch of Israelites at a party. And somebody says, what would you, which superpower would you have if you could have any superpower? This is a typical conversation at an Israelite party. Oh, yeah. No, of course. You know, and the thing is, the Israelites are sophisticated, so it's not going to be a thing where they're like, oh, would you fly or be invisible? Because they're past that. Mm-hmm. They want to have a genuine conversation and not a dumb one. Which superpower would you have? And you'd go around the room, oh, I'd have this, I'd have, I could stop time, I'd whatever, you know. I used to say I'd be the guy that I'd be the rust. I'd be the oxidizer. What would that right? do? Well, the oxidizer would have uh, the power to uh, like remotely rust any kind of like ferrous. Why would you want r- that though? Well, you would immediately be able to end all war. You just walk onto the battlefield and just turn, wave your magic hand and everything rusts. And what's gun. this power called? It's I'm the oxidizer. The oxidizer. The, gu- the gun can't fire. The tank can't move. I mean, you could stop any machine instantly, yeah. unless, a, unless it was a machine made entirely of titanium. And I'm sure that there's some kind of oxidation that happens to titanium. I'm not a metallurgist. But, you know, a lot of things can oxidize that aren't iron. Sure. And you'd just be there like, just adding a little bit more oxygen to things. And it would, you'd have, that's a tremendous power. Take any, you take any machine out and also like. All the superpowers out there. And that's the one you'd want. Mm. Well, I'm saying. Couldn't you say you could stop war if you were like, could telepathically control people? Then they wouldn't, you know what? You walk up to someone, you're like, you don't want to do the war anymore. And they're like, you're right. I don't. And that's, wouldn't that be better than just like rusting out their, their gun? Well, but now think about this. It's like uh, fundamentally helping them as a person. Like you want to be kind now. And they're like, yeah, I do. Instead I, of like, so I, show me your gun. Now it's rusted. I don't know enough about uh, superheroes. And I think you know quite a bit more about superheroes. But I'm not uh, saying it's I, not cool. I'm saying it's, I don't know how effective it would be at ending war. Well, this is what, this is what I'm saying. If you, if you give yourself a superpower that is too super, 
and you become either a giant blue penis man. <laughs> yes. Or talking about uh, Dr. Manhattan, Dr. Manhattan. Yeah. Or, uh, and I'm, and I'm, I'm, on, I'm stretching out here, but Jean Grey, am I right? Jean Grey, uh, has powers uh, beyond the limits of her control. Somehow? Uh, she, she did at one point. Yeah. When she had the dark Phoenix, uh, power, she like lifted her. up the golden gate bridge in some dumb movie. At, and at that point I was like, I'm not watching this movie. anymore. Well, this, this yeah, that, they stupid. got that part. Yeah. Uh, but great. I believe that if you become, if you have too much superpower and you become giant blue penis, man, it's not fun anymore. You're not having a good time. You're like not helping anybody. You're wandering off. It's like, yeah, uh, you have it's to go like, to Mars. Yeah. It's like the AIs in, uh, in that movie with the uh, Joaquin Phoenix where they just start talking to each other. They're not helping you her. find your library book or her. That's yeah, right. Yeah. She's not, she doesn't want to be your friend anymore. She's, she's having multidimensional conversations with other AIs. Yeah. So if I had the ability to telepathically change people's minds, the first thing that would happen is you know, I, I, there'd be nobody interesting to me anymore because nobody would have an independent viewpoint. Nobody would have their own thoughts. I would just be in there monkeying around. So the world would become instantly a puppet show for me. Mm-hmm. Why would I care if they have, I'd probably instigate war just to keep things interesting. Okay. And I'd be like, all right, now here you go. Now you're going to do this. Now the underdog is going to do a secret thing. And the, the, the big villain isn't going to even think about it. The underdog is going to just like hijack a few planes and the big, the big superpower is just going to be blind to it. They're not even going to keep their jets fueled up on the runway because who would ever attack America? Mm, yeah. Well, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to say America. That was a parable. Um, so no, you want to keep your superpower somewhat contained because otherwise it's otherwise life is boring. I mean, even Superman has, first of all, kryptonite. Yeah. Second of all, his love for Lois Lane, which is, which inhibits him even more than kryptonite. And, uh, third of all, his like pathological do-gooderism. Yeah. Which, like, is the is the ultimate inhibitor. Superman's always trying to do good. He his powers don't don't like confine him. It's his like it's his Pollyannaism that. Mm. Can, but I don't have Pollyannaism. If I had those powers, boy, it'd, look out, it'd be trouble. But the oxidizer, you know, that would be that'd be a pretty hot. You know, my friend Mike always used to say that his superpower would be to be able to cause explosive diarrhea in anyone at a distance. These are really weak powers, just generally speaking. I don't. I mean, think I understand so. that you're saying you don't want to be omnipotent because of the isolation, but how would but your this, how would the oxidation? Would you have to touch it? Would you just think about it? No, you. What be, are your you limits? Just, you, know, you do you do the thing where you stick your hand out and go bah, and then. I okay, mean, but hold on, hold on, hang on. Would you need would would the limit be you'd need to be sight range of it? Would you just have to know about it? Like if if I knew right now that you had like a pocket knife in your pocket and I'm trying to end all skirmishes, <laughs> all war, everything. Could I just right. if I knew if I know it's in there, could I oxidize it? Could I sense it around me or would you have to be like you'd have to like bring it out and I'd be like I'd point at it and oxidize? I think it it would either be line of sight or it would be something, some confined like within five miles because it's necessary that you be there. You can't just sit in your armchair and say, I hereby destroy all machines. Yeah. 
that would be, that's pretty dumb. No, you'd have to be there, but you can oxidize things. You know, you can oxidize things selectively so that you could keep a tank running the motor running and the, you know, the rest of the tank running, but just oxidize the trigger. Okay. Okay. But it's not just about ending war because once people understood that you were the oxidizer, anytime you arrived on the scene, the very threat of oxidizing the things would inhibit people using them. Right. They would say, whoa, 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 whoa. I know that you don't like uh limb biscuit, but before you oxidize my Macintosh stereo receiver, let me go over and change the channel right. to a non limb limb biscuit featuring uh media source. <laughs> and I would say, Hey, I wasn't gonna oxidize your uh Macintosh. I was just I was just raising an eyebrow at your choice of limb biscuit. And the person would be like, cool, cool, cool. I didn't, I didn't think you were going to, I just was saying I could tell by that, you know, you're a little bit like the, like the little boy in the twilight zone that everybody's terrified of, yep. but you can't like make that. You can't make people kill each other. You can just ruin their stereo equipment. The twilight zone you're referencing is it's a good life. Oh, it's a good life. Mm-hmm. Uh, my friend Mike's explosive diarrhea has a no. very good, well, but, but wait, but wait, here comes Superman, right? He has massive, massive powers. There's no way you can defeat Superman, but boom, you just made him have explosive diarrhea. Now, even Superman is not going to want to continue to do whatever he's doing right at that moment because he just had explosive diarrhea and he's going to break off whatever his attack on you is. And he's going to fly very fast to the nearest restroom. And every villain, everyone is going to do the same. Everyone's going to have the same reaction. Nobody is going to continue their, uh, their activity. If they have just shot themselves, particularly if they've shot themselves explosively. And so Mike's superpower actually has, is pretty compelling. I mean, it, Will it could change the course of history if an army was marching toward you and you and they suddenly everyone in the army was just like, oh, oh, no. And then they were they had all soiled themselves. Right. But like same thing. If you could just put somebody to sleep, I mean, and it's cleaner. That's not bad. Put somebody to sleep. But putting putting people to sleep doesn't freeze them. Just freeze them. Yeah. But 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 the diarrhea man. It's Whatever just, his name would no be. No one wants that. No one would even <laughs> talk about that power. If you had that power, is, you don't want to be, be known as that guy. Because it also has a, it has Who's such an element. invite him over, John? I'm not already element. not inviting you is, over because you're going to freeze my You don't have to invite him over because he's just going to show up. And what are you going to do? You're going to say, you can't come into the party? You'd go, Pfft. No, everybody's going to welcome you wherever you go. They're going to want to be your friend. They're going to say, please don't make me poop myself right now. Like, you know, it's another it's, no, it's, example. This is terrible. Well, this is the thing. You're talking you're about some people. of the, he's talking about being a villain. Yeah, sure. He's a little bit of a villain. A because lot it's of the a, humiliation. He, you, he should call himself humiliation man. Yeah. Because he has the ability, no matter how powerful you are. You know, no matter how beautiful you are. What if you, you just are, didn't eat no that day? What are? if you had an, an empty, empty stomach for 24 hours before so You just had a big water, just a big water explosion. Nobody wants something out of control coming out of their bottom, no matter what it's it is. It's true. No, it's Could true. Be a, but just recently, 
by which I mean in the last 15 minutes, when I realized that removing cynicism and myopia from select people would be a tremendous superpower, better than being able to put everybody. That would be pretty good to just walk around and just say like, Oh, you know what? Um, whether or not jet fuel can melt steel beams or not, isn't really what we're talking about. Ping. And the person would go, Whoa, why was I so, what was I doing? Yeah. Or, um, Hey, guess what? Sandy hook, uh, did happen. So you can be relieved of your burden of, uh, thinking that it didn't or trying to convince people that it didn't or whatever you needed to do. Just walk around and say, Hey, ping, guess what? Um, the lyrics, uh, your, your hot take on the lyrics of baby, it's cold outside is pretty small potatoes now, mm-hmm. given everything else that's happening, given the fact that there are Nazis in the white house, um, that particular hot take, maybe, maybe you could stow it for a while. Maybe that's not the biggest issue. Uh, like all those kinds of things where you just go around and just say like, ping, Hey, this conversation is not interesting. And the reason it's not is because of you. You're still talking about mind control though. Yeah, Which, but just, again, just, I'm, I've been behind mind control since the beginning. You're just working your way to it. No, because I wouldn't be inputting ideas. I would just be relieving people of the burden of dumb ideas or let's say uh, relieving people of the burden of fixating on ideas, even if they're good ideas, right? Like the lyrics of baby, it's cold outside. I think that that is a, you know, a fascinating cocktail party conversation that if everyone isn't too drunk, maybe won't become an angry screaming match. I'm not saying that I want to change people's thoughts about it just to give them a little bit of perspective on it, that it isn't especially interesting. It isn't actually a gateway into understanding anything. It's a song from the fifties where Dean Martin is boobalooba-lubing. It's not a thing. It's not a thing to talk about it. I mean, and the problem is I never even used to hear that song. I didn't even know it existed. Frankly, it's only been, it's only become a song in the last, for me in the last like four years, I never even heard it before. That the first time around forever. Oh, I know, but it's not a song that used to, I don't remember it ever playing on, uh, in restaurants. Like it seemed, it seems to me like it was a forgotten song. Okay. Uh, and now I hear it all the time. I hear it constantly now and different versions of it. Like the song is just every place. It's got new, slightly modified lyrics. Now it says everybody's trying to, this is this dumb song. Everybody's talking about this song. I went 40 years of my life living in a post baby it's cold outside world where baby it's cold outside played no role whatsoever. I knew my ears did not hear it. It, If it was playing, I did not perceive it. Also this other Christmas song. Um, Oh, what is the one that I keep hearing now? Uh, where it's like, I gave you my love last Christmas and you didn't reject it. So this year I'm giving my love to someone who wants it. Do you know the song I'm talking about? I don't about? know. No, I don't know that one. It's some song with this like super banal melody that sort of sounds like it's been around forever. And now I hear like lots of different versions of it. It's sort of like, I guess something last Christmas I gave something to you. Is I it by Wham? 
No, no. If it, oh, um, uh, ba, 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 ba. is that the one? Yeah. Oh no, that's all I want is Christmas for Christmas is you. No, that song's good. Um, is it it's by not last Wham. Christmas? Last Christmas. Uh, last, last Christmas cr- I gave you my heart, but the very next day you gave it away. This year to save me from tears, I'll give it to someone special. Yeah, that song. Well, that was Wham. Well, that's who I, comes up when I'm searching on it. Oh, so that was. I but mean, they, I mean, it could be a cover. I don't know. Ariana Grande did it. Crazy Frog, who I know you like, did see, it. Taylor Swift that does it. That's, that's what I'm saying. Taylor oh Swift my God, fan. the song is by Wham. Yeah, I think it's by Wham. My goodness. So this is a, this is a classic example. I I'm pretty. I was pretty up on Wham. I was pretty up on their musical catalog. In 1984, when this song came out, I was I was very much like present in the Wham uh, cosmosphere. I could see you being like really into Wham. Well, see, I wasn't into Wham, but I was. But Wham was around, right? Wham I was. I think you're probably into it. I mean, I didn't hate Wham, considering that I was a metalhead and I should not have had anything to do with Wham. Um. I, uh, I did, I was, I did enjoy Wham because they were a good pop band. They had good pop songs and it was at a time when you couldn't really say, certainly within the, within the hard rock and heavy metal community, you couldn't say like, look, look, if somebody writes a good pop song, I'm just going to love this song. I mean, I like missing persons. I'll just eat up. I'm going to eat up whatever they put out. And, uh, I know it's not metal. But uh, whatever metal is like punk rock in the sense that anything I anything I do that doesn't conform to metal is actually way more metal than metal. (laughs) Uh, But the I think what happened. I think the reason I don't know this song or didn't know this song um, was that in 1984. We were in a very a very weird situation, which was that we were still living in a world where the Christmas where where like Christmas songs by pop bands were a thing that they did every year. Yes. Those were always like subpar songs, but then, and I'm, and I'm looking at Wikipedia now in order to contextualize the moment. Okay. And I realize that it was the same Christmas as do they know it's Christmas? I see. And do they know it's Christmas? subsumed everything beneath it. Like it gobbled up all of the culture in everyone's mind uh-huh. because it was so omnipresent and also such garbage. And so whams like, like somewhat like sad sack, weepy Christmas pop tune just didn't even register. I wasn't able to take it in and I can't believe anybody else was either. And it is, in all of its many cover versions, I can confirm that it is a terrible song and all of the versions of it are terrible because it can't be redeemed. And I never heard that song from 1984 to 2014. I never heard that song. Yeah. Not a single time. And then all of a sudden, boom, everywhere it's playing. Blah, blah, blah. Terrible Christmas song. Stop it. You know, Jonathan Colton and I made an album of tremendous Christmas songs. Well, that should be universal standards and maybe 20 years from now they will. But right now we have to hear this boobla boobla Dean, Dean Martin and this 
this uh, this garbage like what did, what did you say? What was one of the who were the people that covered well, the I mean, Wham? Taylor song? Swift is the one I think that Ariana uh, Grande did it. Taylor Swift. Do you know? I would think you would enjoy. You liked um, Adele, but I mean, I, I'm not putting. I'm not saying that you know Taylor Swift and Adele are are equals or anything. But I'm saying Adele is definitely a pop artist. Oh, I am not opposed to Taylor Swift. Um, shake it off. That's a good I song. A, I think it's a killer number. It's a all good of song. the all of the pop stars. Um. With the exception of the histrionic ones, but like pink, I never really like dug a ton of pink's music because I always felt like pink, pink's image was pretty rock. Yeah. She had a pretty rock and roll image. She dated like, um, like dirt bike stars, Uh stars of motocross. Like she was pretty rock. Yeah. But her music was really milk, milk toast. I thought for somebody yeah, it who didn't looked hit, so. it didn't hit you quite the way that, but she no, had a here, look and an attitude that yeah, was. A here little, she comes with the swagger and the sneer, and there ought to have been more guitars in her music. Is all sure. I'm saying. It should have been a little bit harder. I'm there. But boy, I was sure captivated by Pink. I liked her image. I liked what she was. You know, I I was I would have bought what she was selling. Um, I'm a big fan of Mary J. Blige. Not to say that those uh, those are the antecedents of um, Taylor Swift, right? But Taylor's got a lot of uh, joie de vivre. She's got a lot of vim, and um, and I'm Moxie, and I like her. I just like her style. I think she, um, I think that she manages to keep a sort of positivity in spite of the fact that everything around her what should be turning her into a brittle and uh and like calculating right uh you know like mean-spirited empress but she's not she's just like she just keeps on keeping on doing her thing do you think she's part of the illuminati the way that like beyonce and uh katie perry are or do you think she's managed to stay out of that or like you know she she bought a house in Hyannisport, okay, two doors down from the Kennedy compound, um, because she was dating some Kennedy nephew. Okay, and that was an amazing moment for me. First of all, that those like callow, dim-witted Kennedy nephews still have such a hold on the popular culture that one of them could just by virtue of being a like a Kennedy, yeah. Like, uh, you know, Jeff Kennedy, <laughs> that he could be, uh, he could like uh, be dating Taylor Swift all of a sudden. And not to say that I feel like Taylor has had the best taste in men going down the list of guys she's dated. I'm sort of like, no, all right. I don't know about that either. John Mayer. Really? I mean, mm. I'm not sure if she dated John Mayer, but he seems to date everybody. She did. And no, I, she totally and I, did. And I feel like he's a sleaze. Yeah. Um, for a while there, I followed his Snapchat until I couldn't bear it another Really? Moment. Just because I wanted to see what the, what I, I was trying to figure out what people did on Snapchat. And I realized, ugh, ugh. Yeah. It's just like, it's just like, it's like putting your, putting your foot in like a can of 
like old paint. You know what happens when paint gets old, old decaying kind yeah, of paint? Yeah, like it goes through the, it separates and then it gets yeah. just super thick. And Ugh. That's what following John Mayer on Snapchat is. Wow. But so Taylor, like she falls in love with Jeff Kennedy and she has the resources. She buys a house on Hannesport. Like, oh, well, this is what I'm doing now. And then she breaks up with Jeff Kennedy because Jeff Kennedy is dingling. Did she have to sell the house? I don't think she broke up with him. I think he broke up with her because he is such a, uh, like such a Hollister. Like, right. By Hollister, I mean Abercrombie and Fitch. Right. No, I'm the store. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that he doesn't even know what the, he doesn't, he's just like, a, he is the personification of entitlement, I guess. He's entitled to break up with T- Taylor Swift. I'm offended. I'm offended on behalf of everyone, the yeah. entire country. Yeah. I don't know what she did with her Hyannisport house. It was all in the news that she bought it. It wasn't in the news that she sold it. But I think it would be awkward to to continue to vacation in Hyannisport. And another reason I think it would be weird is Hyannisport isn't that great. Frankly, Cape Cod is not that great. I'm going to just hit, just go on the record right yeah, now. I, I'm, I'm, I'm listening. Cape Cod. The only reason Cape Cod is legendary is because it was America's first, or it was the Yankees first vacation place, right? It's, it's like where you went to the beach if you lived in Boston and Boston is very old, but Cape Cod is shite. Like, really? yeah, the Eastern side is just these, like, you, you know, can't I even- saw, I saw a, a show, mm-hmm. uh, like an HBO documentary that was talking about all of the like hardcore heroin addiction uh-huh. that's in Cape Cod mm-hmm. and that it's a real, real problem there because the, the year rounders in Cape Cod are a very small group, right? The, in the summer, Cape Cod is invaded by, uh, you know, the preppy tourists or like vacation homeowners. But in the winter, the only people that are on Cape Cod are the, are the townies and they're, they're the proper old Yankee people. I have some good friends that live on Cape Cod year round that are like old Cape Cod family of musicians, the Parkington sisters. They're a group of musical sisters, five sisters, all of them musical, wonderful, wonderful musicians. And you know, their people are like fishermen and stuff. They're not, um, they're not like rich preppy people. They're, they're old new England. But I think it's a, I think when the, when the rich people go away, it's kind of like Maine. When the rich people come in the summer, it's one thing, but then they go away and the people that are left behind, are like hard scrabble old American people that are wind blown and working hard to survive. But the beaches in Cape Cod, which are what attracts everyone Mm -hmm. are not great. Like the, the, the windward side there, you're just being pummeled by the hateful Atlantic. And on the leeward side, they're just sort of muddy, like muddy clam digging, like brackish water clam holes. Yeah. And for me, it seems like if you're going to go to the beach 
And Nantucket is the same way. Like, why would you go down to a beach that smells like uh, sea life is dying on it when you could go? I mean, if you can afford to go to Nantucket, you can afford to go to Bahama. You can afford to go to Jamaica. You can afford to go to just Florida. You can drive to Florida. As a West Coast person. Yeah. I have very strong feelings about what a good beach is. Yeah. And the Oregon coast has wonderful beaches and the California coast has wonderful beaches. And these East coast beaches just do not, do not pass muster. And I don't understand. So, you know, I understand why the Kennedys are in Hyannisport because when, uh, Joe Kennedy bought that place, they puttered down there in their, in their, uh, in their Lincoln, that you had to start with a crank. <laughs> but nowadays, I mean, the Kennedys could, they could vacation anywhere. Why the hell are they going to this crap place? But I'm not making the decisions for the Kennedys. I'm not the, I'm not the king of the, of the, uh, the Celts either. You know, you're not, you're not king of anything. Ah, uh, so frustrating. I mean, you're, you're still have a lot of time left though. But if, I mean, I would go just going back to your earlier point, I would pick something that like you, you at least have some kind of genetic connection to if you're mm. looking for something, mm. but I just, there's one last thing. Can I revisit the oxidate oxidizer for a second? <laughs> you're really, you really don't like the oxidizer. No, I mean, it's growing on me, but here's something that I think the, you know, how, Anytime, because you brought up Twilight Zone, anytime you yes. make a wish, whether it's on a monkey's paw or with a genie or a you know, really smart computer that can grant wishes, whatever it is, when you wish for something, they always find a way to sort of convolute it. They change uh-huh. it around. They twist it. They find You're the, talking about the genie. The genie. So if you... Here's what I think is going to happen. Okay. I'm sitting there across from you and you're like, saying something I don't like, I think, okay, you know what? I got a knife in my pocket. I'm just going to stab him with it. Mm-hmm. And you're like, not so fast, genius. <laughs> Try your knife now. And I right. bring out the switchblade and I flick it out. It doesn't, doesn't work. Doesn't flick. Doesn't flick. I'm like, fine. So I pull out another knife. And you're like, oh, you think you got me there? And then it just sort of rusts in front of me. I still stab you with it. Now you got, uh, you got tetanus. Now I'm stabbed with a rusty knife. You got tetanus now. So I you're can, like the tetanus I, man, really. I think I think part of the uh part part of the oxidizer's powers is that he can control the rate of oxidation. And so some things like it'll break later be, on? Yeah, some things you would just oxidize a little bit, like, oh, check it out. You know, the it would appear to still work. You could you could monkey with certain rifles so that they exploded in uh, when they when the bullet was fired right just it's mainly of, guns that you seem to have a problem with well no i'm just saying like you could do this with someone's pocket calculator too but it, it wouldn't be as dramatic yeah like if you oxidize somebody's iphone it just wouldn't work and they'd be like hmm they'd shake it and then they'd be mad at at&t but this comes from a practical joke background i think is is <laughs> a little you just want to goof on people like, look at that guy right there. He's, he seems like he's got an important phone call, and then oh. you just, oh, what happened to his phone? Tinkle, tinkle. 
Or like uh, rust somebody's glasses just right in the middle of the, you know, right in the bridge there yeah. and then the glasses fall off. On, that's a good, that's a good one. Now, could but, you, you know, no, okay, so you if said somebody's stabbing you with their knife and the knife is crumbling as yeah. they move it through space. That's a good gag. Yeah. Yeah. So if you're, let's say you're watching someone on TV, like a live newscast or something, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. they're more than five miles away. Let's say they're in CNN Atlanta or something. Right. Could you still flip apart their glasses if you wanted? I feel like with the, if you're talking to the genie, if you're talking to the superpower genie, I'm talking the, the oxidizer. Well, but right. I'm saying like the oxidizer gets his power from the superpower genie oh. somehow. <laughs> Because he made right. a wish, right? And they're and they're sitting, you know, they're sitting across like a table in a lunchroom somewhere. Yeah. And the genie's like, "All right, here are the conditions." And the oxidizer or the potential oxidizer says, "All right, I want to be able to oxidize anything I can see." And then the genie's like, "Oh ho!" And then all you have to do is take a knife and cover it with a handkerchief, mm-hmm. and you can stab somebody. So the oxidizer's like, "Right, right, 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 right." Um, okay, I want to be able to do anything that's within five miles of me. And then the genie says, oh, good. Well, then an ICBM, but then the oxidizer says, right, I'll just oxidize the shit out of it as it's, as it enters my five mile dome. You know, they'd go back and forth like this until they settled on what your powers were. I have to assume that's what happens because, you know, the guy with the, uh, with the laser beam eyes, that's not a very cool power. Yeah. You got to walk around talking, with those. Oh, you're talking about Cyclops. Yeah. That's yeah. Not, that's well, it's not, la- it's not lasers. It's uh, kinetic force, but yeah. Oh, uh, kinetic force. But he can't control the kinetic force. Or, I mean, he can. He, he just cannot. No, he can't. He's yeah. got to have his uh, protective goggling. Yeah. But that seems like a mutation. That's not a. Yeah. He's a mutant. Yeah. Mutant. He didn't get to pick I, the power. We need to eliminate mutants right away. No, we don't. Of course we don't. That was a mute. That was a That's joke a, within the mute would say sphere. That. that was a joke within the, uh, within the unit, the Marvel universe. Wow. I was making a within, within the universe joke. Yeah. No, I'm pro mutant. Of course. Okay. If I were a U.S. Senator, I wouldn't be one of those ones that was secretly a mutant that was anti mutant using mutants as an analogy. Right. To discuss, uh, you know, uh, closeted Republican Congress people. No, I would be, I would be one of the, the vocal supporters of mutants. I have a feeling you would as I am now. I'm a vocal supporter of mutants. Even now it's just that the mutations aren't that great. Yeah. Seriously. They're actually pretty hor- horrible. I would think. Yeah. The world is full of mutants, including me and everybody I know. Yeah. Uh, but I, it's just that our mutations are like pff, anxiety. Or, uh, you know, ability to read other people's emotions incorrectly. It's not a very good mutation. (laughs) Shitty one. Yeah. Uh, Or, you know, need to eat two pieces of gum every time someone offers you gum. So every time someone offers you gum, it's a little bit of an awkward uh, transaction. Because they're like, want a piece of gum? And you're like, yeah. Can I take two? (laughs) And then they're like, sure. Most of the time they're like, yeah, that's fine. But there's always a little bit of like, ugh, you know, I'm offering you a piece of gum. Now you got to, now you got to double down on it. Or at least you feel that way as the mutant. Like, why do I always need two pieces of gum? I can justify it a half a dozen different ways. Gum has gotten smaller. 
Have you seen a Hershey bar lately? No. If somebody offered me a Hershey bar now, I would smack it to the ground. Too small uh, or, or yeah, a Hershey bar. A Hershey bar now is the size of a piece of gum in 1974. That's it's <laughs> it's like it has become. It's the it's the size of a poodle's tongue now, and I'm talking I'm talking about a toy poodle. What was the um, what was the gum that ca- that instead of being like a regular stick of gum that was a like I think it just had a uh, like it was small and it was it was more like a little like a little two by four, mm-hmm. but small, really small. You're talking about a you're talking about like a little like a two by four. You say yeah, I mean not a full two by four. It was just it was like a little brick. It looked like almost like a little brick. You're talking about a bubble yum? No, was it just Trident? Yeah, I think it was just Trident. What made a brick? Yeah, Trident was like a little, yeah, Trident, I'm looking at a picture of it. <clears throat> it was a, a Trident gum. It was like a little tiny square piece of gum, almost square. And mm-hmm. it was it was like thicker. Like if you took a regular piece of gum and folded it up on itself a couple times, and it seemed like less gum you were getting less gum but it came in like and it had like a little so you would open up the pack and the pack was rectangular and you'd open up the end of the pack and it had like its own little wrapper around it okay now i remember yeah yeah these days trident is like little little pellets oh is oh right but yeah the old trident was they each had a little piece of paper around them and they were yeah like a little they were Sure, I know. But what like you're a regular about, yeah. stick of gum would have the little aluminum or tin tin foil, as we would have said back mm-hmm. then. Tin foil, the tin foil wrapper around it, and that would be inside of a little sleeve. Mm-hmm. What was Wait, that one? Dan, are you are you saying that we don't say tin foil anymore? I say it all the time, but uh, that's not no. that's not contemporary nomenclature. No. What do people say now? Uh, they say aluminum foil. Oh come on. Or just foil, I'm told. Oh, give me a break. It's tinfoil. Tinfoil. It'll always be tinfoil. Tinfoil. What was the one gum that had that stupid zebra and the gum? <gasps> the and, gum was like fruit zebra. Right. And you would you would eat, was it fruit stripes? Fruit stripes. I'm looking this up. Fruit stripes. Fruit yeah, that's zebra. The, yeah, fruit gum. stripes. They st- still around. And it had this stupid oh, fruit zebra. stripe. Oh, I love that remember stuff. That? I, was always, I was so thrilled when I came upon it because it seemed like it was rare. And didn't the wrappers, you could make them like they would have like a tattoo. So if you <laughs> licked the wrapper or made it wet, you could pre- press it on your hand. Maybe I didn't. Maybe all of the years of eating fruit stripe gum, nobody ever explained to me that the wrapper was also a tattoo. tongue or something? But uh, And this gum had flavor. The flavor would only last like a couple minutes. Yeah. Yeah. It, in fact, as we as we roll down here, um, I have found a website <laughs> called, ready? Mm-hmm. Things 90s Kids Realize. Things 90s Kids Realize. Dot com. A uh, with ninety being uh, being the numerals, a warm and fuzzy cup of nostalgia for my fellow nineties kids 
And number 26 on the list of 90s things 90s kids realize is fruit stripe gum is a great disappointment. <laughs> At first, it's delicious, chewy, sweetness. Then, five, four, three, two, one second later, it's flavorless and dull. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's a, that's a real negative review of fruit stripe gum. Seriously. I've been hearing about nineties kids for a long time. Things 90 only if you, you will, you'll only get this if you're a nineties kid and I don't understand exactly who the nineties kids are. Are they people who were young kids in the nineties? Are they people who were teenagers in the nineties? Who's a nineties kid? See, I feel like I've gone through this thing before I was born. You were born in what? 68, 69. Are you, a child, a 70s kid or a, an 80s kid. Right. Like you were born would, in the 60s. So so you wouldn't say you're a 60s kid, even though technically no. you were alive and well in the 60s. No, I would say I was a 70s kid. Right. But I was 12 at the dawn of the 80s. Right. So I was a kid still in the 80s. But I think of 80s kids as being people who uh, watched the Smurfs, right? Uh, people who mm, never knew a life before video games, right? Like always had a console of some kind. Yeah, right. Um, I think of '80s kids as um, I don't know, caring about the first iteration of My Little Pony, whereas I feel like '70s kids are the one are, are, are kids that our touchstones are shared. We all know what they are. Happy days, Laverne and Shirley love boat, mm-hmm. uh, fantasy Island, Charlie's angels, um, disco. Yeah. And like soft rock AM radio. Uh-huh. Uh, if you're an, if you're a seventies kid, you never knew a time where there weren't muscle cars. Right. There were always muscle cars. And even though new cars started to become shitty, there were always muscle cars. All the way through high school, I mean, the the parking lot of my high school was, I mean, I can think of it now, my junior year, there were 15 muscle cars. Oh, yeah. In the parking lot. And they were all, at that point, 15, 16 year old cars that were carefully buffed and treasured and worked on all the time by their owners. But if you're an eighties kid, I feel like by the time you were in high school, the muscle cars that were around were all sort of eighties muscle cars, IROC Z's and, uh, Fox bodied Mustangs. Like the like the, if you the, saw if you saw a cannonball run in the theater and you wanted the that Pontiac yeah. Trans Am, yeah, you're a child of the seventies. Well, now you're talking about Smokey and the Bandit. Oh well, yeah, Can- well, Cannonball there, there Run. There was no Trans Am in Cannonball no, he, Run. No, there wasn't. No, Smokey and the they, Bandit. Yeah, Cannonball Run. Uh, what did you know, he, what Dom, are they driving? Dom, Dom DeLuise was driving an ambulance. That's right. They were in the ambulance, and uh, and and the ladies drove the Lamborghini. Yes, they did. Unforgettable. Um, yeah, no, Cannibal but, Run. But, uh, yeah. If you're not Cannibal Run, um, but those if kinds of- you saw of, the Blues Brothers in a theater, right. if you, frankly, if you saw Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom in a theater- Okay. 
I don't know. Right. That's okay. A, that's how about this? One. How about this? How about this? Did you see the first Star Wars in the movie theater? If nice. you did, there. you're a child of the 70s. That's there it. it that's it. That's it. It has to be, right? Because I don't care if you were six months old. Uh, if you saw in the theater, I say it counts. I, do, I, don't, I don't believe that. That's the thing. You had to be at least what? Five? I was seven? five. I was five when I saw it. In the theater. Yeah. So anybody that takes their child who's younger than five to see Star Wars mm-hmm. is, a, is like a criminal, right? You don't want to take your little kid to see Star Wars. <laughs> yeah. Even five, I think, is too early. But that was 1977, so that means you were eight in 1980? Yeah. Well, sounds, sounds yeah, like... I mean, you know, it's borderline. I'm borderline, for sure. I'm borderline. Yeah. But, uh, you're, so squarely, Jones, you're squarely in there, but I'm yeah. borderline. Indiana Jones came out in 81. Yeah, I'm guessing because I was 13 in 81, I feel like Indiana Jones was right in my wheelhouse because I got at 13 years old, you get the, you understand the sexual tension. You also understand the Nazis well enough, but the Ark of the Covenant is still mysterious. Like if you saw Indiana Jones when you were, 19 you would be like oh really the ark of the covenant is that right is that what we're really talking about here presumably if you had read some books if you were a 19 year old who had read books but when you're 13 you're like the ark of the covenant this is a real thing that has these powers it's a it's a it's a bag of dust that can conjure up god's evil or god's like uh, vengeful mm, skeleton ghosts wow but you understand that the not you understand nazism enough to know that they're bad right and, um, and also that little bit of like, uh, chemistry, like the, uh, the chemistry between the, um, between the two protagonists, I'm talking about, um, who are we talking about here? Uh, the brunette, uh, what's her name? Um, well, I, let's see. I, I have the internet uh, right here in front of me. Uh, she was, I, 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 I liked her as an actor and, um, and uh, liked her in all the things that she did over time. I'm really not following. I'm not finding. I admit that's not where it would be. No, River Phoenix. Come on. I'm going to beat you. He was great Karen in that. Allen. Karen Allen. Okay. It was Karen Allen. Uh, I, I liked her a lot. Um, she was in Animal House. That's, that, was the, that, was the, that was my introduction to her. Right. She was the one that was always she was Boone's girlfriend and she hooked up with Donald Sutherland in Animal House. Uh, she was a you know, I was a big fan, big fan. And see, I was uh, so too the, young. To, I was too young to see Animal House in the in the theater. I saw it many years later. Well, technically, I was too young. My mother went to see Animal House in order to vet it. Because someone took my young sister to see Jaws. Oh, I saw Jaws. And it ruined Susan. It ruined her. She wouldn't go in the, she wouldn't go in swimming pools. She wouldn't get in a bathtub because she'd seen Jaws at too young of an age. And so my mom her, had heard about Animal House and was like, ah, I'm going to go see this movie before I let you go see it. And she came out of the theater and she was like, no way, no way are you going to see Animal House. Uh, but I found somebody that would take me to see Animal House against my mother's wishes because I was so, I so needed to see animal house. 
And it did. It absolutely colored my view of the world uh, from that point forward. Yeah. Animal House really did a job on me. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. Th- this is you know this is one of the tricks. I mean, people have said to me, "Come on, you're an '80s kid," because when you're 12 and it's the '80s, you're still an '80s kid. Um, but I was old enough. Uh, I was old enough when old enough to know that when the Rolling Stones like tattoo you. Um was the was the album that I think a lot of Rolling Stones fans uh, s- started to feel that the Stones had lost the plot a little bit. But Tattoo You was actually a great Stones record, right? It was a lot of songs, a lot of song, a lot of riffs that Keith had written all the way back in the in the early to mid seventies. And it was, it was a thing that they kind of, it was a record admittedly that they threw together, but it's got start me up on it. It's got waiting on a friend. It's got like a lot of hits on it. It's a great, it sounds like the Rolling Stones when undercover of the night arrived. It was clear to me even then. And I guess I was 14 at that point. It was clear to me that the stones had, had, become pickled something mm. something was deeply wrong with undercover in the night and to be aware enough of the of the world around you to know that the new stones record was garbage requires that something about you no longer be a child and i guess that's 1983 so so that had I mean, there was, there'd been a transition, but by 1983, the, uh, Duran Duran had come out with girls on film and they had a, they had an R rated version of the girls on film music video. I'm not sure if you're aware of this. Yes. I I remember it. Right. The, uh, the R rated girls on film. And I think that's contemporaneous with undercover of the night. And my sister, because she was a massive Duran Duran fan had all of the British releases. She got all of the imports, anything, anything that featured Duran Duran, she found a way to get because she worked in a record store. And so we had the Betamax tape of the Duran Duran music video collection, which included the R rated. Oh, wow. Uh, girls on film and by the time 1983 rolled around i was very interested in watching um the girls on film r-rated version watching night flight you know i was i'd become a man so no i think i think i'm a child of the 70s yeah i don't think there's a, i don't think you could argue that i was even though no, you were definitely in there more than yeah, me for sure and well, it's, yeah, it's interesting because we're only a couple of years two three years difference in age but I feel like I could like technically say I was a child of the seventies, but I think more so for me just by those couple of years, more of the eighties. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and it really is weird how much that turn that like right hand turn that happened in 1980, how much the culture changed just sort of overnight and and it's easy to look back and say like oh the culture changes at the at the turn of a decade 
But like when I think of the nineties, I think of the eighties kind of just going over a speed bump and then they're in the nineties. Yeah. Like the transition from the eighties to the nineties is just sort of like thump, thump. Mm -hmm. and grunge definitely, you know, made an alteration for me personally. It was a big event. Oh yeah. But culturally it was just like thump, thump over the, (laughs) over the hill. And that includes the fact that the cold war came to an end. Yeah. But still it just feels like, well, we didn't really handle that transition very well. The cold war came to an end, but George Herbert Walker Bush was president and there wasn't that it should have been a moment like it was in the Czech Republic where people were electing poets like Vaclav Havel should have been the president of the world in, in 1990. But here in America, we're just so small. We're just so, uh, so insular that the, our, our primary antagonists, the entire Warsaw pact all just kind of, it didn't fall apart in a violent explosion. It all just sort of tumbled apart and all of a sudden, you've got a Poland, you've got a a Czechia and a Slovakia and a Hungary and all these like fascinating nations that are back in the game. And we were like, well, hmm, yeah, I guess so. <laughs> well, hmm, it's the end of history, maybe. Eh. <laughs> well, let's get into a war with Iraq. I mean, it was just so like small. We just handled it so poorly that I feel and we're and we're suffering the repercussions of it now. Like if we had gone in to Eastern Europe and into Russia with like this generous sense of like, hello, our brothers, here's a kind of Marshall plan of redevelopment. Here's how you structure a thing, you know, and what not like colonizing, but like sort of offering our help. Here's a good way that you could that you could approach this privatization of your you know, of all of your industry and wow, we'll send over, we'll send over our playwrights and you can send us your playwrights, but it was just the wrong administration in a way, you know, the way they say that if Al Gore had been president at, on nine 11 instead of George Bush, that the, <laughs> we would have done a completely oh, different yeah. thing. If Al Gore had been president, maybe nine 11 wouldn't have happened because he wouldn't have been such a, snot-nosed punk about reading his CIA files. But uh, but I feel like if there had been a different president, if, if, if Clinton had been president in 89 instead of in 92, the reaction to the, the, the fall of the Iron Curtain might have been tremendous instead of just like such a sputtering, you know, like runny peanut butter response. And that's why the transition from the eighties to the nineties is just like a, just a speed bump. Whereas the turn from 1979 to 1980 is this hard right turn. And I don't mean right politically, but just like we were puttering along and people were feathering their hair. And it seemed like a world where foreigner four was going to be the way that, that we were. Um, and it, and then all of a sudden it was like, keep feeling fascination. And you go, <laughs> that's cool. I don't know what that is. That guy's wearing eyeliner. Um, like Foreigner 4 and Back in Black 
I don't know. Those two records really were the were these pillars that suggested there's a new there's a new thing now. Those were very popular records in 1981, and uh, and they really. But you know, Foreigner Four and Back in Black and Joan Jett all occupied the same cultural moment. I love rock and roll. I don't know. Every time I every time I hear I love rock and roll, I go through puberty again. 